Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk and daily faith in Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. I don't look Chinese, right? Yeah. Well, most of the people in China look Chinese. Yeah. Kind of weird, right? So they would say, well, this alien, this weird guy, this, this foreigner wants to have me into his apartment to hang out with him, share life, um, you know, share his culture. I want to go. So just being a foreigner in China, uh, I instantly have an audience. And so I use that to my advantage. And I use that, not to my advantage, to God's advantage. Uh, I invite them over and uh, build relationships. And through those relationships, I challenge their worldview. I, I show them how the, um, there's inconsistencies in every worldview that's not real. And I show them that the, the worldview that makes most sense of reality is the worldview following Jesus and, and everything that that entails. It's not just that Jesus died on the cross, but that there's actually a God who created the universe, a personal God. And so, uh, generally speaking, I start even before the Bible using philosophy, history, and science, and we call that apologetics, uh, to um, defend that the Christian worldview is the worldview that makes the most sense of reality. It explains the most data that we see in the universe. And so, uh, in my six years uh, in China, I've shared the gospel one-on-one or in small group settings with, I don't know, 50, 75, 80, 90 students. I don't know how many now. Quite a few. And in our small ministry team, that I'm a part of, about 12 to 15 people, we've seen anywhere from 50 to 80, I'm not even sure, uh, students who used to be atheists, who are now fully devoted, baptized Christians, living out their faith with their family, with their friends. Yeah, that's, come on. And that, that really excites me. Uh, that my time, even though on a day-to-day basis I feel sometimes really bored and really alone and really stuck in a dry place, uh, when I look back uh, on some of the fruit that we've borne uh, for the Lord, it's so exciting. And I want to share a bit of that with you in this video, uh, a four-minute video that I made. Uh, maybe some of you see me on Facebook and Instagram posting nice pictures of beautiful sunsets on oceans, and you think, is John really doing anything? Well, that's my time off. That's my vacation time, and uh, I don't actually get to share uh, my missionary work online because I live in communist China, where what I'm doing is technically illegal, and I could be sent home for what I do. Um, Sharing your faith, proselytizing, um, evangelizing is fully illegal because I'm not a registered card-carrying member of the communist party, so I am not allowed to do what I'm doing. But let's go ahead and show that video, and then I will continue our talk here. So that's um, the other side of what I do. And, you know, um, probably 80% of the Chinese students you saw in that video were atheists. Uh, when I'm either when I met them or shortly before I met them, um, and yeah, God's just doing a really awesome work, and I feel unworthy. <laughs> so my job here today and my goal here today is to um, just let you know what I've been up to in China, and to hopefully inspire you to. Um, learn more about how you can be a light in your world and how you can more effectively or yeah more effectively share the gospel share the good news share the reality of God with people you know and people that you don't know and um, 
and maybe just to be inspired or be refreshed in your already your desire that you already have to do that. So uh, that's that's my ultimate goal today. So this last um, this last semester uh, has been really busy for me. I went to Italy for a month. And I taught for a little over a week. Uh, I did an apologetics training seminar. And again, apologetics is using philosophy, science, and history to show and demonstrate that God exists and that Jesus is God. That God created the universe. He created consciousness. He created morality. He created everything that we see. He created life. He designed life. He designed DNA. He encoded DNA as a language. Languages only come from minds. God is a spirit and a mind. So I went to Italy and I, um, I taught a, a course there for a week and I got to share with some backpackers and hostels that I stayed in. And uh, my, main, yeah, my main teaching was at a mission in, in Italy. So I was kind of doing what I love to do in Italy and that was awesome. Um, also, two things I got to do this semester that were unique was uh, every year we take the senior students in China, the fourth year students, and they have their last semester off to do internships. But we invite them to come and do a Bible study, um, a Bible school rather, uh, for a month and a half. And so I, I joined that and I taught for three or four days on apologetics. How can we know that God exists and how can we share that with others? Uh, and a new thing that started to happen was one of these students that had gotten saved um, before I came to China, but by a member, uh, was brought to faith by a member um, on our ministry team. He now has studied, the, he has started this national, I don't really want to call it missions training movement, kind of like a campus crusade for Christ. Uh, and so he himself then also goes to all these different universities, collects uh, students who have come to know the Lord or maybe who were raised in the church, and he gives them another three-month Bible school. And so now he's bringing his students to us, to our ministry team, to teach them. And he is also, with that, he's starting a mission school where he's going to take those students who graduate from that and give them a year or two uh, Bible school full-time in order to send them out to Muslim countries to share their faith. And so, uh, hopefully in the future, I'm going to be involved with that. And that's just really awesome to see um, the underground church who meets in homes and little caves sometimes being organized and uh, developing and exporting their faith. Uh, this semester, I was teaching foreign, uh, foreign students uh, macroeconomics. And partway through the semester, I graduated from seminary. And so I had a little more free time in my hands. And I said, hey, let's have a Bible study. Thank you. <laughs> Just don't call me Master John. Okay. So I invited them over. And I had a whole rainbow of people. I had people from Africa, people from Thailand, people from Laos. Uh, I had Mongolians, I had Chinese, I had Thai. And most of them didn't believe in God. And so we started talking about, does God exist? And did Jesus claim to be God? Two of these students I've gotten to know really well. One girl from Bangladesh, she's a Muslim, and one girl from Thailand. She was, was a nominal Buddhist, and maybe still is, I'm not sure. But both of these girls, um, I've been ha- able to have very deep and long conversations about God and about who Jesus is. And one interesting, uh, so the, the Thai girl, she was just my student for a semester as an exchange student. And uh, the first day I met her, I was talking to her where she's from and, oh, are you Buddhist? Yeah, kind of, I don't know, maybe. And I said, I got a book for you. Ravi Zacharias wrote a book, Buddha Talks to Jesus. And I think you might enjoy that book. So I gave her that book. Two days later, she said, hey, she sent me a text. Hey, I'm finished the book. Can we talk about it? Sure. I would love to. Let's go for coffee. So uh, we start talking about what she read. She's like, the Christian faith is so concrete. Like, we know exactly when Jesus lived. We know when he died. We know why he died. We know, like, that there's a God that created the universe. We know what's going to happen after we die. 
we know what salvation is. Like, it's so concrete. But in my, in my you know, traditional Buddhist faith, it's so abstract. It's so, I, I can't even explain to you half the stuff that people believe because they don't even know. It's, it's just the nature of the religion to be this very abstract philosophy. And so I said, well, I got another book for you. And I handed her another book uh, called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. If you have never read that book, you should. Actually, I think I have a little uh, promotion for it at the end here. Oh, shoot. Um, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Great book written by two professors from my, um, my seminary, the one on the right. So I gave her this book, 350 pages long, and it's a systematic... Um, defense or explanation of how do we know that God is real and is the best explanation for everything. For everything. For consciousness, morality, the existence of the universe, uh, life itself. And so I gave her that book. And throughout the semester, she attacked that book in her second language. <laughs> she does, like, her first language is Thai. And she read this pretty difficult, like, I mean, it's a popular read for everyone, but for her, it has a lot of, you know, difficult words. It has science and philosophy in it, too. But it's a general read for everyone. It's a must-read. A must-read. So, um, she read that book, and I was like, hey, why don't you start reading the Bible? And so, we went onto her cell phone, downloaded the ESV Bible app, and uh, she started reading Genesis and thought that was interesting. And I said, oh, why don't you give John a try? Okay. She read the whole book of John. And uh, my last meet, you know, coffee with her uh, a few days before I left, she was like right on the fence. She was so close to coming into the kingdom. And I was just so blessed to be part of that that divine God meeting where um, she just came for three months four months, and God just used apologetics and my passions to really bring her a lot closer to God. So, all that to say, that's what I've been doing the last semester in China. And on a day-to-day basis, my life doesn't feel very eventful, to be honest. It feels rather, I don't know, boring. Uh, Maybe you feel the same. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I'm just really thankful for what, what God has me doing in China. Um, so if you want to stay in touch uh, with what I'm doing in China, uh, I have two sign-up sheets in the foyer on the table where all the other sign-up sheets are. And uh, you can put your name down, uh, your email address. Um, you can, there's little boxes you can check for different things like uh, how to join, get on my newsletter, um, how to, uh, what else is there? Mm, Oh, I've been thinking about maybe doing some weekly apologetics talks um, somewhere in Stratford on some random evening. So I just need to see if there's enough interest to do something like that. So if that's another interest of yours, please put your email address down and uh, check the box that talks about weekly apologetic stuff and I will reconsider if that's something I want to do. Um, also, I have uh, Morgan Kneider is uh, helping me fundraise. For those of you that don't know, so I have a part-time job in China, but I also fundraise. And together I make the equivalent of maybe living in Canada with a twenty to $25,000 job, which is not a lot, right? When you're trying to live on your own and have a car and have a cell phone and whatever. So uh, some of my expenses are paid by the university, but in, because of that, my salary is extremely low, like less than, you know, working at Tim Hortons part-time. So... Uh, Sorry if anyone works at Tim Hortons part-time. Yeah. I used to work at Tim Hortons part-time, so I can say that. <laughs> I worked there three years, downtown. Uh, so, yeah, if any of you want to join, uh, help partner with me to support what I do, uh, there's also a box for that on the sign-up sheet. And uh, I can email you with more, intro, uh, more information about that. But Morgan is, uh, had went to the escape rooms. Has anyone ever done an escape room before? Yeah, they're kind of fun, right? Yeah. So she went to the escape rooms here in town, and they cut us a deal. So if you buy a package, uh, it's a one certificate for four people, costs $80, and uh, I get a slice of that. I think I get about 20% or something like that. Is that 
basically right, Morgan? I pretty sure, yes, Dan, thank you. All right, so if you would like uh, an $80 four-person uh, escape room package, you can also check the box on the sign-up sheet or talk to Morgan or I after church or any other time. All right, so let's use the Bible. Is that a good idea? Yeah, yeah okay, good. That's kind of what they do at churches, right? Oh, one more thing. I know this is kind of a, maybe, I don't know if it's a faux pas or whatever, but uh, July 9th, I'm speaking at Jubilee, and I'm doing um, a th- like a three-part seminar. I think it's going to be Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and sometime Monday, as far as I know. And a little plug for it. Uh, I'm not trying to steal you away from Bethel, but uh, if you have free time, especially Sunday evening or Monday, uh, you can come and sit in on my uh, three-part seminar on how to bring someone uh, from atheism to Christianity uh, with stopping at various points in between, like Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and Judaism. So how can you basically show someone that Christianity is the religion that makes the most sense of the world data that we see, morality, consciousness, life existing, the universe existing, etc., and how that is not explained in Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and how Judaism is fully represented in Christianity. So, uh, you're welcome to come out to that. Uh, starts July 9th, um, I think in the morning service. I might uh, send an email to Pastor Chad later when I have more details about that. Okay, discipleship. Discipleship, yeah. Uh, I think I'm messing up something here. Okay, so... Discipleship, that's kind of what I do, uh, though I really prefer teaching. Teaching is my passion. I like being in front of people. I like talking, and I like explaining, and when I think I'm right, I like to talk about that, right? I think we all do, right? So, uh, let's talk about discipleship, and it's Missions Sunday, I believe, so it's kind of fitting, right? Now, a lot of times people think that sharing their faith is standing on a street corner thumping their Bible, right? They have some kind of fire and brimstone sign or placard and they say burn or turn, turn or burn, right? Turn or burn. But that's not really, like, sometimes they get that, I think, that some of that inspiration, and I've done that. I've stood on the corner and I've preached and just, like, went straight to the cut, right? Believe in Jesus or suffer the consequences. And I think it's not very effective, right? It, it leaves a bad taste in people's mouth, even though it's true, right? You can tell someone the truth and it doesn't really affect them because you did it in the wrong way, right? You, and then all of a sudden, boom, walls, boom, offense, boom, they want to argue with you, they want to fight you, right? So when we speak truth, it has to be seasoned with love, with grace. It has to be uh, gentle, right? Done with humility. But it also has to be relevant, right? It has to actually address questions that they would have or problems they would have, right? Whether it's emotional, intellectual, physical, right? Financial, whatever. We have to be relevant, and I think a lot of times Bible thumping or street preaching is not very relevant. Now, I'm not, if, go ahead and street preach, that's fine. But uh, I think there's a better, more effective way. Uh, now, discipleship also requires, you know, some people, they see the street preaching method and they get offended and they're like, I don't want to like share, I don't want to be arrogant, and share my faith with people. Because look at the guy on the, on the street corner. He's arrogant. But that's going to the wrong extreme. Saying that I won't share my faith with words. Uh, I, I heard the analogy once. You know, like we often hear the analogy, share Christ and use words if necessary, right? But even Mother Teresa was known for what she believed, right? She didn't just hug babies and orphans and, and uh, the lepers without sharing her faith, Right? She left a legacy of belief in God behind her wherever she went. And it reminds me, I heard an analogy 
from a professor in Bible school. He said, you know, think about this. What if you're that guy, uh, you know, you're a guy in the factory or, or a woman, whatever, and you're, you come early to your workspace and you um, start early, you leave late, you leave your um, workspace space as clean as possible, you know, you, you produce more stuff than anyone else in the factory, and you're nice, right? And 10 years later, uh, um, one of the managers comes up to you and says, dude, we've been watching you. Like, you are excellent. What will you do? What, like, there's something different about you. Are you, are you a vegetarian? <laughs> Right? For 10 years, he'd been doing well, but he didn't step up and try to communicate what he believed. Right? He, he didn't make the message of God relevant. He didn't even try. And maybe, maybe he was afraid to use his words. Right? And was he afraid because um, maybe he just didn't know enough about the gospel or know enough how to share his faith? Maybe. You know, maybe he had never done it before. Um, I'm not sure, but it should at least inspire us to maybe read a few books or some YouTube videos where we're learning how to be effective sharers of the gospel, right? What is, what is the gospel? How, do, how can I communicate it, right? Is it just that Jesus died on the cross? Though that's extremely important, but there is more, right? right? Christianity is not just this world view. It's not just this world view where we believe in some guy who was murdered, Right? We believe that God created the universe. He, create, he designed life. So the gospel is more than just Jesus dying on the cross. Though there's so much packed into that and it is so crucial to our faith. Of course, I'm not negating that. But people in our day and age, when they hear Jesus die on the cross, they think, okay, that comes from the Bible. And what's the Bible? Oh, the Bible is just a fairy tale. It's a mythology. It's, you know, um, it's used by people for political power. It's used by people to, like Freud would say, uh, to gain a sense of security in the harsh natural world. And so they create religion. Well, that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is, is that <laughs> the, the pure facts of reality, that God exists, created this universe, designed it for life, then designed life itself, gave life consciousness and uh, morals to live by, and then he protruded into history through prophets who spoke of the coming Messiah, then the Messiah came and fulfilled those prophecies, another miracle, right? Did miracles while he was on earth, died on the cross, serving us, not demanding us to worship him, Right? Serving us in hopes that we would come back to him. And then when he came back from the dead, he said, all right, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn to go out and share all of this with the world. Now sometimes we, um, I'm probably getting ahead of myself here. Sometimes we think, well, no, sharing the gospel is just sharing about Jesus. Yes and no. Right? What, when we read the Bible, yeah, we see mostly people just talking about Jesus. Yeah. And talking about, you know, the prophets of old and whatever. Why is that? Anyone know? Because the authors of the Bible are writing to people who already have the world view of Judaism. Right? The whole Old Testament was written by Jews. For Jews. <laughs> and then the New Testament was also written all by Jews who happened to believe in God and believe in the, the Old Testament and the Torah and the Ten Commandments, all that stuff, right? And they're writing mostly, not, not totally, but mostly to Jewish converts or Jewish followers of Jesus, right? So they, didn't ha they don't have to argue for things like, hey, there's a God. Hey, God, like the reason that there's anything at all is because there's a God. They don't have to argue for those kind of things. Because they're talking to people who already believe that stuff. Right? They already believe that, oh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Simple. Right? Paul never had to start there. Right? Except for when he was in Athens. He gave a little bit more. So I just jumped way ahead of myself. 
But my first point is that sharing the gospel is not flippant. It's not just something simple or easy uh, and you expect to see results. Or just stand on the street corner and scream at people. Right? There's more to it. <laughs> There's more to it. Sharing, uh, sharing the gospel is personal. It's not just sharing once and walking away. That's not very personal. Right? You know, it's not just something that can be advertised on TV or written on a poster. Right? That's far too impersonal. The gospel is far too important to just be advertised. It has to be transmitted from one person to another, from one soul to another, from one changed person to another. Right? Sometimes we think, okay, John the Baptist you know, stood around preaching. Yeah, he did, but he also had disciples that lived with him and walked with him and heard him talk and heard him teach. We sometimes forget about that. And then some of those disciples jumped ship and they became Jesus' disciples. And Jesus had 12 disciples for three and a half years, right? Living, talking, walking, eating, being on boats, being in the desert, you know, getting sand in your beard, all that kind of stuff, all together. And he didn't just do it for a week or a month, it took, it took years of hanging out with people to, to rub off on them the reality of God. And that's discipleship. It takes time. It's personal. You're going to have to rub off on people. You're going to have to do what other people do. Or bring them along to what you do. If, unless you're willing to do that, you could never disciple anyone. It would be impossible. Unless you're willing to share your life, just like you share your life with your children or with your family, unless you're willing to do something similar-ish to that, you're not going to be able to disciple. Well, maybe I shouldn't disciple. That's not my job. That's John's job. Or that's Pastor Chad's job or someone else's job. Well, there's a problem with that. With... You know, just kind of dumping that on someone, on other people. And Jesus, when he was just about to zoom to heaven, uh, he said a few words to the disciples. So in Matthew 28, it's probably, you know, a very familiar passage, right? And when the disciples went to, to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them, when they saw him, they worshipped him. And some doubted. And Jesus said to them, well, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Uh, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Okay, well, maybe he's just talking to the disciples. Right? He's just, he's, he's just telling them to go. Right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then he says a little caveat there. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Hmm. What did Jesus just command them to do? Make disciples. Very good. You're good. Yeah. He had just commanded them, go and make disciples in all the nations. Right? And then he says, well, don't forget, tell them to do the same thing. Everything that I've told you to do, everything that I've let you do, you train up other people to do the exact same thing. Exact same thing. It's a person-to-person pyramid scheme, you could call it. Okay? <laughs> And in verse 17, I have it highlighted there, and they worshipped him. Sometimes we just worship. And we don't do anything else. Right? We, but Jesus didn't have that in mind. <laughs> he said, okay, I accept your worship. Thank you. And bless you. You're blessed for doing it. But there's more. It's your job. I'm not going to close out history right here and now. I'm not just going to, you know, hover in the sky and demand everyone to worship me and then game over, the history's done. No, he had a plan, right? From soul to soul, from human to human, the message of God is to be transmitted from something that actually happened in history. 
so point number three, it's commanded. Everything that Jesus taught the disciples, the disciples were to pass on to other people. And so when we, when we read scriptures, we can take it as if Jesus is speaking to us, right? So it's commanded that we make disciples of all the nations, right? Now I'm not here going to, I'm not going to beat you with a bat and tell you go do it, but I'm just saying Jesus has given us a responsibility and it's your personal, it's your, it's up to you how you manage that, right? It's between you and God. Number four, and I've kind of touched on this already, right? It's passing on what we've received and it's sourced in concrete history, point number five. The reason we're passing on something is because something actually happened. It, it's not just, you know, uh, one day some golden tablets fell out of the sky and we didn't know where they came from. And so we said, oh, it's, maybe it's from God and then started a religion, right? And it's not like, okay, I had a, you know, one person had a kooky vision and then said, okay, well, let's start a religion. That'd be fun. Right? It's, not, it's nothing like that. It's not even, well, I'm going to have this complicated, amazing philosophy about the universe. And then we're just going to chill. Okay? It's not that. Right? Many religions are like that. In Christianity, there's something very unique. That we actually care if this... Um, one, well, many specific facts happened in history. We actually care. It has. If those things didn't happen, we are dead in our faith. Our faith is useless. Paul, writing in First Corinthians fifteen three to eight, he said, "I delivered to you the Corinthian church." Of first importance, what I also received. Right? It's a passing on of what you've received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures. That he was buried and raised on the third day according to scriptures. Well, scriptures, who cares about scriptures? They're fairy tales, right? Well, or they were just, you know, written by some 4th century Catholic monk to make us pay money to the church, right? No. Right? The New Testament was written by nine eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They saw it. All nine of them. And so they reported what they saw. And they wrote biographies. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They wrote letters. Romans through Revelation. They wrote letters including all of the things that they experienced and what they were giving advice to churches based on their experiences of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. If you don't think the Bible is true history, you can't think any other book of Western literature of ancient times is also a book of history or truth. Because we have literally nothing like the Bible. There is nothing, nothing even close to the eyewitness testimonies that are found in the Bible. Because the Bible, you realize the Bible was not just some book, again, written by one person. It was a whole bunch of books floating around, books and letters floating around. And finally, some smart Christians were like, hey, we should probably collect this stuff and save it. Like, what if it just all, you know, disappears someday? We, we don't want that. We want to make sure it's all together in one convenient spot, right? Like an iPhone. And yeah, I could carry it. You can carry it in your, your cart, your wagon, right? Wherever you go. It's maybe too big to fit in your pocket. But at least you can, uh, at least you can take it wherever you want, you know? So a bunch of Christians collected up the eyewitness accounts of the Christ, that's the Bible. Continuing, verse uh, 5. And on the third day, according to scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, and then the twelve. Cephas, I believe, is Peter, but I could be wrong. Maybe not. Uh, then he moved, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. 
most of whom are still alive, and you can go talk to them yourself. Not literally, but this is what Paul would say. Okay. Uh, Though some have fallen asleep, meaning they've died. He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last, he appeared to me. So Paul's saying, hey, this stuff happened. And there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who saw it. Go ask them too. If you don't believe that Jesus died, was buried, and came back from the dead, like the scriptures say, go talk to the eyewitnesses. They're still alive. So, this religion that we belong to is not one of trying to gain political power. It's not one where we're just belonging to it for psychological peace and rest. No, it's something that actually happened in history and demands our attention. Demands our worship. Just like the apostles worshipped when they saw Jesus resurrected. I remember... uh, going to, I was in Nepal for two weeks, and I remember seeing a rock that had a bunch of stuff on it, and it was clearly a special rock. And I was with some amazing pastors, who uh, a pastor who himself was raised in a Hindu family. His father was a Hindu priest. And I said, why do they do that? Why do they paint that rock and put flowers on it? And he said, well, they believe it's a god. I said, well, why would they believe that? And he said, there's no why. I was like, really? Like, there's like, the rock didn't at like, some point in history like, come alive and say, hey, you should worship me? No. Oh, okay. Is there like, any other reason, like historical reason, event, that would like, really prove that, that? No, no, no. Okay, so it's just a tradition. Yeah, just a tradition. Oh, okay. In, in Nepal... There are so many people coming to the faith, to the Christian faith, because they see how concrete our faith is in history. We can point back to 2017 years ago, and oh yeah, Jesus was born. He actually lived. He actually did miracles, because there was hundreds and thousands of people that saw it, and he actually came back from the dead, because same thing, thousands of people saw him. It just makes sense to put your faith in something that literally happened in history. And we have the joy of sharing that, right? We have the joy of passing on what people experienced because it happened in history. And it didn't just happen in history, but is ongoing, right? It's ongoing. Why is it not, or why is it also ongoing? Well, here some people were like, well, Jesus didn't really die, or if he did, or he didn't die and come back from the dead. And if he did, well, that's just history. Well, Paul had a different perspective. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. Obviously. And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Oh, so if Jesus didn't die, you're still in your sins. But Jesus did die and come back from the dead. And so, and I believe in him, now I don't have to be in my sins anymore. It's an ongoing deliverance. Right? For all people. If Christ, um, then those, okay, verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we have all people to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead and is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits. Right? We are the second fruits, and the third fruits, and the fourth fruits, and the millionth fruits. For as by man, For as by a man came death, Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam we all die, so also in Christ we all shall be made alive. 
each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. We are going to be raised from the dead because Jesus was raised from the dead. It was a preview. Verse 24. Then the end will come when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Wow, that was a long, that was a really long thing, right? You can... So, the, the fact of Jesus dying on the cross and us passing on that thing is not just, well, some 12 people experienced that or some hundreds of people or some thousands of people experienced it 2,000 years ago. No, it's, it means that we're going to be raised from the dead if we choose to accept God as God. And not only that, but death itself is going to be destroyed. Because Jesus conquered the grave, there, at, one, at some point in history, there will be no death. That's amazing. Now, either we're crazy, we're all just drinking the Kool-Aid, or we're, we're actors in the most amazing play that has ever been put on in history. You, me, everyone in this room, you have the opportunity to play a role. Some kind of role in this drama. That's living life to the full. Right? And part of your role is to teach others what Jesus taught the disciples. Part of your role is to pass on what you've received. Right? To be a good actor, you got to do what you got to do. You got to do you got to say your lines. You got to act your part. Right? And so we are acting in the ultimate story of reality. And that has to be done and that has to be communicated with words. Yes, with actions, of course, but also with words. Does anybody like movies? Yeah. Probably most of you do. That's probably why there's theaters, right? That's probably why there's Netflix and DVDs. Well, J.R. Tolkien, which you might know from Lord of the Rings, he wrote Lord of the Rings. He was a Christian. And uh, he actually was one of the main men responsible for bringing C.S. Lewis into the faith. J.R. Tolkien, he had a, an interesting view of stories. He's like, why does every culture have stories? They all have plays, and now we have movies. They have novels, um, poems, epics. Why is that? And J.R. Tolkien essentially is saying, well, it's because the, the, the fantasy that's involved in every one of these stories is actually something that the human heart not only longs for, but it actually exists. Because every major desire that we have, there's a fulfillment for that. You have a desire to eat food, there's food. Right? You have a desire, ducks have a desire to swim, there's water. Right? Uh, and you can probably imagine some other desires that are out there, and there's things that we can do to fulfill those desires. So, J.R. Tolkien, he said basically that every story has these four parts. Or every, I should say, every fantasy story that's really popular in movies and novels and poems. There's an escape from death. There's a connection with beauty. There's love without parting. That's the ideal, right, in the end. Love without parting. And good triumphing, triumphing over evil. I'll say those four again. Escape from death. Connection with beauty. Whether it's nature or other beings, animals, angels, whatever. Like, just think of, you know, 
Avatar or something, right? A lot of these stories, right, they have the, this connection with something beautiful. Uh, maybe it's even women, I don't know. So, escaping from death, connection with beauty, uh, love without parting, where there's a connection between um, actors in the play or actors in the movie, that this camaraderie, right? And the triumph of good over evil. There's always some kind of evil or bad thing that happens, and then they try to conquer it, right? And ha- happy the ever after. Well, the scripture I just read from 1 Corinthians 15, right, is one of the, is like describing this part of, or most of, the epic of history, right? The, the most beautiful fantasy story ever, in a sense. Except the exception here is it's real. It wasn't created in the mind of J.R. Tolkien, or some prophet, or some cuckoo, right? <laughs> It was observed by thousands of people who lived with Jesus, who saw him, who walked with him. And now it's our part to be part of this play, to play our role. Last point. But it's not all funny games, it's not all glamorous. Right? There's suffering. Colossians 1.24 Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Wait a minute. Filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. How is that possible? Like, Jesus was God. He did the one and only sacrifice. How could there still be stuff lacking? Well, the Colossians hadn't been there. They hadn't seen Jesus walk around and do his miracles. They hadn't seen Jesus die on the cross. Right? They needed a demonstration of who Jesus was. Someone who was living like Jesus, walking like Jesus, talking like Jesus, suffering like Jesus, serving like Jesus. In order to fully understand, okay, this is, the, this is the deal that I'm signing up for. Okay, this is what Christianity is. Got it. That's what he's filling up, or that's what he's, um, he's filling up, what is lacking, was just their lack of, you know, they weren't able to picture, okay, what really happened? Who was Jesus really like? They needed a personal demonstration. Paul himself came suffering. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to you. Okay, To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations now revealed to his saints. Here's this glamorous, fantasy, amazing story that we're living out. To, the, um, to them God chose to make, to make known how great amongst the Gentiles are his riches. Okay, Verse 28. Him we proclaim. Right? Using our words. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with wisdom. We've got to use our words. Even Mother Teresa says, true love hurts. This is, uh, you probably can't see, it might be a little blurry. But from the youth catechism, um, they quoted uh, Mother Teresa. Um, the Catholic youth catechism. True love hurts. It always must hurt. It has to be painful to love someone. Painful to leave him. You would like to die for him. When people marry, they have to give up everything in order to love each other. A mother who gives life to a child suffers much. The word love is misunderstood and misused so much. Very true, right? True love hurts sometimes, right? It has to be displayed. There has to, there, there's going to be a suffering. There's going to be, oh, I don't want to, really want to hang out with this person because they're weird. Or, man, I don't want to hang out with my unbelieving uh, colleague from work after church. That's my family time. Right? Uh, I don't want to go to the beach just with this unbeliever because I have all my other like, believing friends going to a movie tonight. I don't want to miss out on the movie. Right? You're going to have those things. I experience them all the time. 
man, I don't want to... I don't want to struggle through a second language. I don't want to eat Chinese food tonight. I would, dude, I really just want to play a game. I really just want to stay at home and chill with my friends that understand me. Right? But if I always choose that way out, I'm never going to produce anything. Right? It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. Last, I just want to give you some tips, practical tips. How do we make it practical? When you use the Bible, Back up why the Bible is historically trustworthy. Right? In the same way that you view fairy tales is probably how your colleagues and classmates view the Bible. So you need to figure out, well, how do I know the Bible is actually a historically accurate book? Well, that's your job. Read some books. <laughs> Number two, don't be afraid to mention how the Christian worldview has a greater explanatory power than others. How do you do that? Read some books. Or listen to some people. Number three. Don't only use subjective experiences or Bible quotes. Don't only use them. Of course you can. But use, also use facts that they, they can explore and research for themselves. Number four. Reach out to someone you easily connect with. That'll make your time a lot easier. right? You'll, you'll get further with them. And you'll gain um, someone that you've already gained their respect. You have their audience. Okay. Two great resources. This is where I leave off. Um, two great resources that I encourage you to read yourself. To really understand, you know, kind of the things that I was saying today are sourced from, you, you can almost boil them down to these two books. More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell explains the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus coming true in Jesus. Did Jesus really exist? Did you, you know, how do we know that Jesus wasn't lying or a lunatic, but rather he was Lord, etc. And then I don't have enough faith to be an atheist explores where did the universe come from? Where did DNA come from? Where did morality come from? Where did consciousness come from? These kind of things. From, all from a Christian um, scientific and philosophical perspective. I encourage you to get these books, read them, and give them away. Give them to people that you're talking to. They can read them and they're fascinating. They will leave your author, uh, your authors, your friends just with their, their chins dropping saying, like, is this real? Jesus really exists. Jesus really, like there's these prophecies written hundreds and th- like a thousand years before Jesus and they came true in Jesus. That really, that's really true? Yeah. Right? Give, give people some, some stuff to chew on. So... That's where I leave off. I hope that I've inspired you in some capacity to discipleship, to giving your life away, passing on what we have received from the apostles and from Jesus himself. And uh, bless you. Uh, If you want to hear more or learn more um, about what I do and where I'm going, uh, you can sign up in the foyer in my newsletters. And uh, don't forget the escape room tickets too if you're interested in that. So... Thank you for listening, and bless you guys. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. Hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.